Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast all about early stage web developers and the mentors and teachers that helped them along the way. Hey, Andy. Um, thanks so much for joining me for the Mycelium Network Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be able to, to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you um, you agreed to do it because I know we've, I had to convince you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 I definitely am an introvert and I don't really like the limelight. Yeah, no, me too. And I, and I, I've said it before, I don't know why I keep putting myself in situations that generally I shouldn't enjoy. <laughs> Maybe I'm trying to force myself out of the situation, but I do, I do enjoy a good conversation. So I think that's more what it's about. Me too. Um, and so I think what I'm, I'm interested in a couple of things and um, I sent you some notes, but I think one of the things with you that is unique from anybody else that I've, con that I've had a conversation with so far is you have a really long history in tech. Um, and I think there's a lot of really interesting things that you can share. And I'm also curious for us to kind of um, juxtapose when you started and now where you've kind of like trying to get back into into the world of tech but in a to be a different industry than you were and how things have changed what's gotten better what's gotten worse what's stayed the same so um i think before we dive into any specific topic um if you can kind of give us a bit of a background of of, of who you are where you are today and some of the history uh yeah well i you know my um childhood was was really pretty um standard and and unremarkable but i was always interested in science and um and mathematics and you know tinkering with gadgets and electronics and i mean that that just that, those things always fascinated me um so when i got to uh college computers hadn't really become an area of study yet. Uh, and I, I kind of had two college careers. Uh, I went for a couple of years right out of high school and I couldn't really decide what to do. Nothing really seemed interesting. I couldn't get excited about any of the subjects. So I, I, I quit and worked, uh, actually worked in a factory for a couple of years driving a forklift. Um, after about a year of that, I thought, well, I don't really want to be doing this when I'm you know, 50. So I thought it's probably a good idea to maybe uh, go back to college and, and find something that um, I, I could be interested in that would uh, uh, be a little bit uh, more fun career. So I, I transferred, got, got back into college as a junior. Um, and it, it, the way I got into computing is is, is a little bit different. I, it wasn't really something that was on my radar, um, but I, I was actually uh, majoring in chemistry. I'd always liked chemistry and uh, in school and everything. So I was majoring in chemistry, and there was one quarter <clears throat> that uh, I, I needed a chemistry class that wasn't being offered, and so I needed something to fill up my schedule. I went to talk to my advisor, and I said, uh, you know, I need to I need to have a, a full load full schedule because I don't want to waste any time. And uh, he said, well, you know, you might want to take this Fortran course. Uh, he said, it's, it's you know, 
it'll it'll you know fit into a, a bachelor of science degree really well. And and I, I still remember exactly what he said. He said to me, you know, computers probably aren't going to go away. And so I thought, well, you know, I, was, I, I still wasn't totally convinced. Um, so I, I did I get, did go and sign up for the course. I went to the first day of class. The, the professor seemed like a you know, pretty nice guy. It was a large class, um, introductory to Fortran. Uh, I, I did not buy the book right away because I wasn't sure I was going to keep the class. So the first day of class went, went pretty well. So after the second day of class, I, I actually went and bought the book. I still have the book somewhere. It's, uh, it's one, in one of the boxes that have followed me around. Um, and on the third day, uh, after the third day of class, I went to the administration building, uh, changed my major to computer science, and, and you know, the rest is uh, history, as they say. But, you know, when I, when I started uh, doing uh, computer science in college, we were using uh, punch cards uh, instead of terminals. So I had to go to the bookstore and buy, you know, they had vending machines actually in the computing center where you could buy a package of 100 punch cards for like a dollar or something. Um, and and for the first, you know, for my first course, I, I think I probably got most of them out of the vending machine. But um, <clears throat> pretty soon after the second or third course, I thought, well, It'll be just easier and cheaper to go to the bookstore and start buying them in the big boxes of a thousand cards, and that, so that's what I did. But and not too long after that, then we they they did install some terminals and they set up a um, <clears throat> a machine to do time sharing of the IBM uh, 370, which everything ran on. Um, so I mean, from from punch cards to today is is just a stark difference. I mean, you can't, you can't even imagine uh, what, what that difference is like unless you were there and, and, and lived it. And I'll, I'll give you an example of what, what was really, one of the things that's really different today um, from, from punch cards. We had, we had what were called IBM 029 card punch machines. And you would put, put a deck of cards in the machine and had a, had a, a hopper that would feed one card at a time. You tap the return key to get to, 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 to bring the first card into the machine where you can start punching it. And as you touch the keys, it actually punched the holes in the card. So there was no such thing as a delete. I mean, you couldn't, there was no backspace. Once you hit the key, the hole was in the card. And, and it, you know, if, if you had made a mistake, you know, you just push return through that card away and start it again. So, if you if you stood in the punch, the uh, the card punch room um, and listened a little bit, you could tell how far into the card each person was because at the beginning of a card you'd be typing pretty quickly, but as you got to about you know 40 or 50 characters in, people would slow way down because they didn't want to make a mistake after having done 40 or, or 50 or you know 55 characters. And, I, and, and today, of course, I absolutely rely on the backspace key. If we didn't have backspace key, I'd have to do something else. <laughs> um, you know, my, 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 I, I type okay, but I'm, I'm not as accurate as I would like to be. Um, so, you know, if it, if it wasn't for backspace, 
I would be much less uh, productive in programming. Um, but the another of the really big differences, um, I, 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 of course, started with Fortran. And in school, I did Fortran, uh, COBOL, um, IBM 3, 360 and 370 assembly language, um, a little bit of Pascal, but not very much. And Ada wasn't really on the horizon yet, or, or any of, or, and Java hadn't even been conceived of, so um, never dealt with it with that in school. Um, and you know, the I'm not sure how familiar you are with Fortran, but in Fortran, especially, uh, we were, we were mostly using Fortran 66, which was the 1966 standard, and. You know the 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 first five spaces on a line were the line number, and you didn't have to have a line number, but that's where they went if you had one. The sixth column was the continuation column. That if it's any character in that meant that this line was a continuation from the previous line, and everything started in column seven, and and you just had to remember that it wasn't you know there was no there there also was no um, integrated development environment or, or, or language sensitive editors or any of that. I mean, you just had to know that. And so the tools today are so much better and so uh, friendly to, I think, uh, especially new developers learning a new language or new developers using something like VS Code and you, you install the plugin that uh, you know when you start typing the the name of a uh, a function or something like that, it it basically will show you a list of what could go next, and so you don't really even have to remember all of the names of of everything, which uh, is is helpful um, I think to, to everybody. It is certainly for me because you know there's just so many more things available today than there were back then. Um, in my professional life, I use DEC uh, VAX computers for the most part, and um, you know, using the you know VT100 or equivalent terminals, and um, you know, of course, we didn't we never use punch cards as a you know for, for uh, when I was working for pay, um, but I yeah, got pretty good with the the uh, editors on the the VT100s. They had the the keypad editing, which was great. Um, but, you know, even even that could not hold a candle to the the modern uh, IDEs. I mean, you know, VS Code or the, the JetBrains tools or things like Eclipse or um, I think there's uh, what's called NetBeans I, I used yeah, uh, many yeah. years ago. Um, mm -hmm. they, they all are just great. The languages also being more available. When I first got out of school, of course, I was working uh, eight hours a day. And then I had a computer at home, and I'd come home, and, and you know, I'd, I'd spend all day working at a computer, come home, grab something to eat, and then spend three or four or five hours at night also working on a computer. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, the if you if you wanted to buy a compiler or assembler, I mean, they were, you know, a few hundred dollars each. Um, and, and the tools were either non-existent or very expensive. Um, so today with, you know, Things like VS Code being basically free. Um, you can download Visual Studio uh, if, if, if you're using it for an open source project or a personal project. 
You don't have to pay for that. If you're trying to learn, uh, that's great because you can learn it without spending too much money. Uh, Node.js, you just download. Python, you just download. Um, so the, the availability and quality of the tools is, is really one of the stark uh, contrasts between now and, say, the, the mid to late 1980s. Um, what else? I'm trying to think what else comes to mind that, that's, you know, that's a, a big contrast. Um, I mean, I the think... computers of... Sorry, I, I was just thinking I was about... Computers, of course, have gotten much faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I was, I was just thinking, like, um, where you, you mentioned the fact that in, like, modern code editors, if you, like, start typing, it'll, like, show you a list of potential, like, functions uh, that's applicable even to the specific. It can detect what kind of uh, object you have on the left-hand side, so it'll only suggest, like, functions that's actually available on that. Like, if it's an array, it won't suggest something that's only available on a string and that kind of thing. So even that, it, like, they're calling telesense. But then over and above that, like, more often than not, when you hover over one of these specific function calls or whatever, it'll show you like integrated documentation that's like usually pulled from MDN or something. So even that's being brought into the editor. And then I'm wondering like this next evolution where you get stuff like GitHub's Copilot, where it sometimes suggests like, here's potentially the entire function that you probably want to write based on code analysis. What do you think about, about that coming into? Like it's almost like a pair programmer that's based on machine learning. I have not experienced uh, that yet. I I've read a little bit about it. Um, that that to me also you know, a few years ago they were talking about uh, AIs beginning to write code and you know they were going to be so much more efficient and effective than than human programmers. But you know that hasn't really come to fruition. So I, I, I guess I, I'm a little skeptical um, that that's really going to come about in, in, a, in a major and be a major factor. Um, one of the things that, that they've also uh, has been kind of in and out of the news over the past what, 30, 35 years um, is, is this, uh, you know, uh, idea that we're going to have these libraries of reusable components, and to build a to build a um, system, you just grab some components, uh, you know, write a little bit of interface code, you know, stick them together, and ship them out the door, and we haven't gotten there yet either. And to me, I think the reason that that hasn't worked is because when humans solve problems. We don't always necessarily do it in a strictly procedural um, way by following a, a certain sequence of steps. Um, we'll use intuition, which I don't know how you, I don't know how you would teach a, a machine to have intuition. Um, we use experience. You know what what has worked or not worked before. Um, you know, we use uh, the, the, the knowledge that we've, we've gained. And one, one of the things that I've always found um, 
interesting when I've had when I've had the the need or the the, the situation where I needed to to use recursion, um, and I, I've written several functions that in, in C uh, that were recursive, and when when you need a recursive function, almost nothing else will do because you you think of writing this you know 15 or 20 line function um, that since it can call itself, you know you don't need to write too much more. But if you had to write it out procedurally and and, and do it you know calling a function and calling another, you know you'd get you, it would be um, very untenable pretty quickly. So how you know and and how do you know when you should use recursion. Well, it's one of those things where you're you're trying to solve a problem, you're trying to solve a problem, and then you think, you know, this this probably lends itself to a recursive function. Um, and then you you start looking at it a little bit more, and you start writing the recursive function, and yeah, in maybe ten or fifteen or twenty lines of code, you've got this function that. Um, does this thing that you can't really keep in your mind because you can't iterate as deeply in your brain and keep everything straight as the computer can, pushing stuff on the stack and um, you know just just iterating and, and getting deeper and deeper. And one of the things that I've always been surprised at when I've written recursive functions is is I I I never knew that I was almost done until I was done. Um, because I'd, I'd be writing along and it'd be kind of working and, and calling itself and I'd be using the debugger to watch it. And then all of a sudden I'd realize, oh, that's it. It's finished, you know, and, and now it works. And, you know, I just I, I never really knew when I was approaching that that point. Uh, whereas with other with with procedural type functions, you, know, you pretty much knew, you know, when when you were almost done with the function, you just had a few more things to do and. And you can move on and work on something else. So it's it's fun, but I don't I, I just I don't know how you get a a machine to do that or how you um, create a set of components that you can pick from and and you, and without really studying it and getting into it, you know that you need a recursive component rather than just some procedural component. And that's another thing that's changed um, since I first started getting into computing is, you know, we no, nobody had ever heard about object-oriented programming um, when I first started. So everything was very procedural, very functional. Um, you know, you wrote functions or subroutines in Fortran um, and and called them and, you know, you, you pushed arguments on the stack and uh, so there wasn't really this concept of an object that you were working with. It was all basically arrays. Um, and then in C, of course, C introduced the concept of, uh, of uh, the structures and the, um, what do they call them, where it could, uh, oh, it's been so long since I've written any C. There, there was a way to, to, to have a mem an area in memory that if you address it one way, it was like one set of variables or, or one record format. Or if you called it by another name, it was a, uh, I think it was a joint or join or that's join as uh, a database thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But you could, but depending on which name you called it by, um, 
you could use a separate set of uh, of variables within the same memory of, uh, region of memory. And that was great if you were reading records from a text file and you didn't know what the next record was going to be. You know what the different formats were. Say you had five or six different possible record types and you'd read the record in, but you didn't know what type it was till you looked at the first four bytes and you say, oh, this is a, you know, this is a certain type of record. And so you would, you would say, well, that's going to be, I'm going to call that, you know, um, A or whatever. And it would, then you'd use that until you get to the next record and it might be a different type. And I wish I could remember what the name of that was. I'll look it up later and send you a, uh, send you a message yeah. so that you can, maybe you can go back and edit it in or something. Um, <laughs> but, that, but, but object, object oriented programming. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with objects because, you know, like having, you know, grown up and learned in, in a very functional procedural, uh, manner, um, it, it, wrapping my brain around objects took, took, took a while. Um, and by mm -hmm, a while, mm -hmm. I mean, probably a few years, uh, at least because it just, I, I guess I, I, you know, like everything else in life, you know, we have a resistance to change. So I wanted to yeah. do things the way I knew how to do them. I didn't want to change to this do thing. Um, but then I, I finally did see the light and I woke up one day and thought, yeah, this isn't so bad. Uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try this after all. Um, but th th those are, I think, I think that the, 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 the availability and, and quality of the tools, especially like you mentioned the, you know, the context sensitive uh, editors where, where it can tell you what the, the function name could be or whatever. And, and object oriented uh, uh, programming is, uh, is different. And a, a year or two ago, I heard some people talking about um, this this new thing called functional programming, where they you know, they were using subroutines and functions. And I thought, yeah, that's 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 not new. That's <laughs> yeah, that's that's the old way. So that was yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, that that's pretty popular in the JavaScript world. Um, I know mm -hmm. a lot of people uh, are suggesting that that might be better. Then, because uh, I mean, you can fake object-oriented programming in JavaScript, um, and to some, I mean, JavaScript technically has class syntax, but it's not true class syntax, um, uh, you know, in the Java sense, for example. But through that, you can sort of create this idea of classes and inheritance and all these kinds of things. And more so if you go for something like TypeScript, um, then you can probably get closer to true object oriented. Um, but I do find that a lot of folks are leaning more towards functional programming. And there's some stuff built into JavaScript that, um, that lends itself to that, like, um, your map reduce, filters functions that you have on arrays so you're not actually changing the underlying array you're doing some function you're running some functions on the contents of it and creating a new array um, but the old one is still left intact um, and, I, and i think that is what they call having functions that have no side effects so if you give it the same thing, it'll always return, give you the same result. Uh, there's no surprises. Um, so it's interesting. I, I think in a lot of ways, um, 
we go forward and then we step back a little bit and then we go forward and then we step back a little bit. Uh, I think the same thing happened with Jamstack where, I mean, some aspects of Jamstack is new, but the underlying idea behind it is pretty much like we used to build websites back in the early 2000s where it's nothing more than just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript that sits on a server and it's just pushed to your to your browser. Um, of course, with the modern capabilities of browsers and stuff, you have all kinds of stuff you can do then on top of that to enhance the experience, like making stuff available offline, um, being able to respond to different uh, screen sizes and environments and uh, all that kind of stuff. But the basic idea of serving static pages, you know, that's something that happened way back in the day. And now it's again evolving. Now it seems like people are kind of like still interested in Jamstack, but now they're embracing this new thing of edge functions um, and serverless, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around exactly what what that all means. Yeah, me too. I These... Um... Uh, serverless functions that, that I've I haven't really looked into that deeply. I've I've read a little bit about them in the, in the context of the Microsoft Azure um, offerings, but I I haven't really tried anything with them. But what you're talking about just a minute ago and, and uh, with JavaScript, I mean, we used to call that uh, back in the in the day either calling something uh, by value or by reference. I mean, if you yeah. call it by value, you change its value per, perhaps or, or not you don't change you if you call if you use if you pass by value then you can't change the value because you don't you don't know where it's stored in memory so you just have to return something else but if you pass something by reference then you have the pointer to where it's located so you can actually change the thing that's being passed and um i always thought that was pretty cool but i, I wanted to say something about javascript um and I like JavaScript. I, I've written a fair bit of it. In fact, last year I did the, I don't know if you're familiar with the advent of code. Um, it's a, uh, a set of problems that this guy does every year uh, for the first 25 days of December. And the, the problems oh. get more and more challenging as you go through the, through the 25 days. And there are two parts each day. And I used JavaScript last year to, to do that, um, got mm -hmm. reasonably far into it before I kind of threw my hands up and said, well, I both, A, don't have time to work on this all day long, and the problems were getting, like, really complicated, and I just thought, well, I'll, I'll do this again next year. But I also wanted, mm -hmm. I wanted to learn JavaScript. But the more I've, the more I've learned JavaScript, um, and and you know when you're talking about the uh, the, the different ways to, to do things in JavaScript, it I, I, I'm almost always reminded of a quote that I read. Um, I used to actually, actually had it uh, a copy of it pinned up to um, my wall when I was uh, uh, working, um, and it I, I I wish I still had it, but it, it and I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But the effect, the, the effect of the quote was, you know, when you're writing code, you're not trying to tell the computer what to do. What you're trying to do is tell other programmers what you're doing, or maybe mm -hmm. even remind yourself six months from now mm -hmm. why you did what you did and why you did it this way. 
And, yeah. you know, that, that is so, so true because the, the, you know, the, the code that I've written in C, um, you know, I would, I would do a project, get finished with it, put it away, um, maybe six, eight months or a year later, um, you know, the, the, uh, the guy that I, I wrote it for would come back and say, Hey, you know, we've, we've got another set of data, but now we've got this different kind of quirk and Hey, can you, can you get that code out and, and add in enough to do this and then process it? I, I did lots of what's called data reduction and, and analysis and processing. Um, okay. and so I'd say, yeah, sure. I can do that. And I would take out, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go find the file and edit it and, um, Sometimes, especially early on, I mean, I would look at the code and I'd be like, you know, who who wrote this? Um, <laughs> you know, and and why do they hate me? <laughs> because it was it was just it was foreign. Um, yeah. So that that encouraged me to both start writing better comments uh, in the code mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also to start doing things. And and really the simplest way possible, um, even if there was a clever way of doing something, I would think, eh, if I ever have to come back and look at this, am I going to be able to figure out in the future how clever I was today? Not not that I'm all that clever of a person, but you know, sometimes I would I would think about you know kind of a cool way of doing something, and in in my opinion, the the simplest way to get the job done, as long as it's not horribly inefficient, is probably the way you want to do it. Because when you go mm-hmm. look at it later, or if some some person that's maintaining the code looks at it a year from now, they'll be able to figure out what it is you were doing relatively quickly, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll be able to maintain it or update it or use it uh, in a way that that will be effective for them. And in JavaScript, every time I, I, I look at a, a, a book on JavaScript, it's like, you know, there are just, there really are too many different ways to do any one thing. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure, you know, and, and, and as JavaScript has evolved, um, things have improved. But it used to be like the the asynchronous uh, communications with JavaScript. Uh, it was the you know um, the try and catch, and then they at some point they introduced you know the promises, and I don't know what they're up to now. But you know the and you want to use the way that that works the best. I mean you don't want a lot of network congestion, but you also want to use code that's going to be understandable. And, and JavaScript yeah, yeah. gives you plenty of of, of uh, ways to to just really get out there where you you will never come back. It's, you know, it's 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 almost it, it's mm-hmm. a it's it's t- it's got too many ways of doing things. Whereas Fortran had too few ways of doing stuff. Um, C had about the right of the right amount, if you ask me. But then I. I have a special place in my heart for C language. It's um, I really enjoyed yeah. the, but both the years, the time in my life, and and C programming were all very good to me. So I that I remember that very fondly. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think, um, 
Yeah, JavaScript has evolved quite a bit in the last couple of years. Um, not all of it necessarily for the better. I think there's been a lot of syntactic sugar added to the to the language. Um, and I'm not always sure if it's good for new people. I think a lot of it can be super confusing. Like, for example, you can create a function using the function keyword, but you could also do... You can also create a variable and store a function in it where you use the fat arrow syntax. Um, and the thing is, it's not actually exactly the same thing. Right. Uh, they're both functions that has a call signature that you can call, but um, the value of the this keyword in a function defined with the function keyword and with arrow functions is not the same. Like this has been that this keyword in JavaScript has been problematic in the past, and they essentially fixed it in arrow functions. But now it's important that people know the difference. Um, and so, in a way, they fixed it, but in a way, now you have to adopt one of the two because otherwise you're going to potentially confuse yourself because you're going to say, "Okay, cool, I can just do this dot blah." And then suddenly you're in a functions uh, context and it, uh, it doesn't work. And you're like, why the heck is it not working? And it's literally just because the value of this is different. Um, and there's some other syntactic sugar things as well. I think one of the recent additions is this ability. I, I forget the name. But so essentially, instead of having to do if this thing and then do a chain, like say if variable and variable dot something else property then do this thing now you can do variable and then you put a little question mark and then a dot and then the other property and that's like a shortcut right. for it and it's it's not always obvious what the heck that question mark does um i'm pretty sure if people new to code looks at that it's not going to be immediately intuitive that that's actually checking it'll only try and read the property on the right if the thing on the left exists so if thing on the left exactly. is undefined it's not going to try and read the thing so it won't throw an error saying cannot read length right. of undefined you avoid that but at the same time i'm not sure if that syntax is very intuitive that that is what it's doing um yeah it, so it's yeah. not and, intuitive and, i know what I know what you're talking about, and I, 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 when I the first time I saw that, I thought, you know, that that's that's it's really nice that you can avoid, you know, the 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 problems with undefined um, variables. But is this really is it really better than checking to see if something is defined first and then you know doing it in an if statement? Is it is it is it really worth saving? two lines of code to do this very kind of complex, uh, you know, different looking construct. Um, and mm -hmm. I, and that just, I, I, I'm not sure where I fall on that because I haven't, I haven't had a, uh, an occasion where I've written that type of construct yet. So, I mean, maybe it, mm -hmm. maybe it is, but, um, and also, you know, when going back to functions, the, the anonymous functions in JavaScript, um, gave me mm -hmm. fits at first i mean it was it, it, i found them kind of difficult to construct it at, at first and probably would have a problem with them now because i haven't written javascript very much recently 
But my understanding is that the anonymous functions have the advantage that once once they're used and you're out of, and they're out of scope, they're no longer taking memory, which is is probably a good enough rationale to use them when you can. Um, but they they certainly can be confusing. They're also hard to debug because mm. if something happens in your code, it doesn't have a name to reference because right. it's anonymous, right? So it, right. it can't tell you function with this name is where the error occurred. It's more going to have to try and tell you on which line it happened. Well, and then, then yep. you're on your own there. <laughs> yeah, the, the, then you go back to the, uh, the tried and true age-old method of debugging of putting in print statements to say, okay, hey, I, I passed mm -hmm. this line, and now I'm at this line, and now I'm at this line, and this, this variable is now this and this and this. And, um, you know, it, it, symbolic debuggers were also just uh, an incredible ad advance, advancement in debugging. Um, mm. It really beats the, the, the endless, <laughs> endless number of print statements that you have to put in to to figure things out. That's true, but at the same time, I wonder how how approachable they are because I, I still find more often than not people using console.log or console.error or whatever to figure out what the heck's going on other than flipping open the developer tools and using the script debugger in there. Um, I very rarely work with somebody that's like, uses that as opposed to using just console log statements. Um, like me, myself, I, I mostly use console log. <laughs> I, I've always mean to study like these things. Cause I'm, I'm, I know that if you know how to use it well, it's probably going to serve you better and save you time, but you need to make time to learn it. Cause it's, those things are, pretty complex it, it is you're, you're quite correct and i think that there is a tipping point um in there that you know if you if you, if you just if you've got a small section of code that you're working with and you need to figure something out that's not terribly complex and you're not you know um deep into a three or four dimensional array yeah putting a, a, mm -hmm. a console log or print statement or something like that you know that that's that's kind of the first line of defense, uh, but but it, but very quickly if that if that doesn't show me where the problem is, I, I am much quicker these days to to you know open the developer tools, go go in there or um, and see you know with uh, Visual Studio to to open the debugger and just start working through it because being able to set breakpoints and watch variables and see exactly mm -hmm. what is in memory um, without having to put in statements that you then have to go back and take out or comment out um, is, is mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. it, it's almost magical um, what, what debuggers can do today. And I would, yeah. I would say I would encourage anybody. Yeah. I mean, a, a couple of console log statements or print statements in Python or something, you know, if that gets the job done, that's fine. But it, it's, you'll do yourself a favor if you start learning the, the debugging tools because they can really, not only do they, not only can they show you what the problem is, 
but sometimes they can also uh, illuminate other issues with the same code that you might not see until you get to a boundary condition. And, and mm. that, you know, that I think also is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if one of the reasons people haven't adopted these as much is maybe a lack of educational material in this area. Cause I mean, not that I've really uh, dug deep for this, but I haven't really that just, I mean, I see a lot of news about what's happening in the developer world and nothing like this has really come across my radar where there's this like, oh, there's this course by X on um, using the debugger tools in Chrome, for example. That's really amazing and you should take it and you'll never use console log again. <laughs> I've never really seen that. Um, so I wonder if that's maybe, if that's an area of opportunity in the educational space. Uh, I, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, that, that's probably one of the things that the mycelium network could, could help people with. And I mean, it, you yeah. know, the, the, the group that you've created, um, I think is fantastic. Uh, it, it's a good idea. It's helpful to people at, at multiple different uh, levels of experience and, and um, learning and you know that that I think would be a good venue for helping people at least to start using the tools that are available. And, and you're exactly right. I, I've I, everything that I know about, um, especially the developer tools in uh, Chrome or Edge or uh, Firefox, I, I've learned just by poking around, or I've looked on. Um, uh, one of the uh, done one of the done a search on um, and and the name is escaping me. Uh, it's just one of the sites where everybody goes to ask programming questions, and I oh, can't think of it. Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow, yes, indeed. Um, you know, I'll go there and have say, hey, how do I do? You know, search how do I do this? I I seldom ask questions because almost always I'm able to find somebody else's question that's very similar and I can I can figure it out from there but uh, people will say well if you open the developer tools and go to this pane and do this you know you'll see you'll it'll show you that and I think oh that that's oh that's 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 cool I didn't know that so I go try it and uh, hey that that really works well and I, I kind of file that away um, and the next time I need to use something like that I hopefully remember that I can go to the developer tools and, and look at that. And um, I, I, I do that with CSS all the time. I mean, I, when I'm working on a, a website or working on CSS, I invariably have the developer tools open to the, um, uh, the, uh, the CSS that's being uh, actually the, the, the CSS that's being applied and, you know, being being able to tweak the CSS and see the uh, see the change immediately um, is just it is so much better than you know change it, try it, change it, try it. Yeah, that, that's it's such a, a time saver. And 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 I, I use Edge. I use uh, you know I'm I'm not a, a Microsoft fanboy, um, I, I, but <laughs> I like Microsoft better than I did in the '80s. I can tell you that since since yeah, Satya Nadella sure, took sure. over. Um, it's it's a different company in my opinion, but we we won't go down I that agree. road. 
Um, but with the edge tools for in VS Code and the um, uh, the, the the way that uh, what is it that the um, it's not really a server. It's kind of the, the server that's, that you can, it's a plugin that you can get for VS Code that opens Edge and runs your code in it. Um, and I, I, did, I didn't know this before I did it, but I, I realized one day that when I was changing the CSS in, in the panel on the developer tools, it was actually changing it back in my source file. And so I thought, Hey, that's pretty cool. If I find out what I like, I don't even have to go back. I just kind of double check, you know, look, make sure that it's there and uh, I'm good to go. So that's, uh, you know, we're getting there. I don't, I don't think we're at the, at the uh, utopia yet, but it's, it's, things are a lot better than they were even, even 10, 10 years ago um, or more. And my first uh, experience with web development was in the, in the very late nineties um, you may recall that people were worried about the Y2K problem and the conversion yeah. of the dates and everything. And uh, one of the one of the things that I was working on was a project to make sure that you know we were we were ready for Y2K. And so I, I developed a, a website to track some of the issues. And uh, that was before JavaScript even, and you know there there were no real databases, so. And those were the days of the CGI scripts, and I was writing C, yeah, I remember them. C code mm-hmm. and putting it in the CGI directory and then doing the calls, and I couldn't even do that today. I'd, I'd have to learn how to do it again, but um, it was, you know, the, it, people think, well, those, those were the days. Well, those were the days, but I don't want to go back there because what we have now is so <laughs> much better Um that you know it it's you can you can remember fondly that you did that but you know i don't like it's like uh, i grew up in the in the in the uh southern part of the united states the southeastern part and uh it was fairly warm in the summertime and for the first several years of my life we didn't have air conditioning and um mm-hmm. so you know when, when, once we got air conditioning you know i, I don't want to go back to a time without air conditioning, even though I don't, I don't live that far south now, it still gets pretty warm and somewhat humid here. So, you know, like my air conditioning, yeah. I, you know, I, I fondly remember, hey, we got, we got by without it, but I, I don't want to go back there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, and I do, I do think the CSS tools are much more approachable than the JavaScript debuggers. Mm. Um, but again, I think it's maybe just a lack of, of knowledge and a lack of educational material. Maybe they are just as approachable. It's it's obviously a completely different paradigm, mm-hmm. but um, you know, a lot of it translates like the same way which you can see, oh, this CSS is being applied to this element. You can see, oh, at this point, this variable has this value. And I'm pretty confident you'll be able to change the value and see the impact of it. Um, in that I think one of the tricky things um, with these debuggers and again it's probably an educational thing but with the use of frameworks I think oftentimes it's it's a little tricky to avoid stepping into the code that is actually part of the framework and being completely lost yeah. um, and then having to 
dig your way out of the framework code back to where it's again the code that you wrote um, to get to the problem. But again, it, you know, because you have step into, step over, mm-hmm. um, and all those kinds of things. So it's understanding when do you want to step into, when do you want to step over, um, so that you avoid drilling into the stuff. But with that said, I do know that uh, the Chromium Dev Tools have this ability to exclude certain libraries. So you can say, uh, by the way, anything that's like jQuery, don't don't go there. So if something is would have stepped into the jQuery code, it'll just step oh, over it instead. Oh, that that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so, I re- but again, it's. I was going to say I remember back in the in the late '80s, I was doing something with the Visual Studio. And I was I was doing some debugging, and I accidentally stepped into one of the uh, dynamic lake libraries in Windows, and and I was immediately, you know, I had no idea what I was looking at, um, and then and, mm-hmm. and of course I didn't have the symbols for that, so it was it was all just basically Greek. Uh, so I basically, I started again and made sure I stepped over the next time. But yeah, you, uh, you're yeah. you're exactly right on that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to switch it up a little bit, um, I read that you are really into cars, automobiles, um, and I know recently you've gotten into motorcycles. Um, but the one thing that I, when reading um, the, the history that you have on, on one of your blogs, um, the one thing that's been common throughout that entire line is you would always join these automobile clubs. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, automobile clubs, essentially communities. Mm -hmm. So I wonder with that in mind, like what does community mean to you and what led you to this, 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 what can you call it? This pattern of always, reaching out always searching out for a community around the specific interest that you have well uh, I'll, I'll let me tell you what i think community means to me is a a group of people that have some common interest or common bond and are willing to both share their knowledge and excitement uh, with others and also help others who maybe don't have as much experience or haven't uh, lived through um, uh, some of the early part of, like, say, uh, cars in the 60s and 70s being different from today, for, for example, to help them um, along to, to understand maybe some of the changes or, or whatever. So it's a, it's really a, a community to me is, is a group of people who um, are all interested in, in some topic. Uh, helping each other to understand it better and and um, and and move forward uh, either individually or as a group to improve the the um, topic, if you will, if that's if that's you know doable, or just to enhance each other's enjoyment of um, a particular brand of car, type of car, uh, and in the, in the tech industry. Um, you know, being able to ask questions and learn from people who um, have have done things, then uh, you you need to do this, and you're interested in learning how to do it. But you know, a, a lot of the documentation um, 
and I'll use I'll use uh, Git and GitHub as an example. The the documentation can be both very accurate and very uh, unapproachable at the same time. I mean, if, and, and when I go back and read some of the documentation that I read a long time ago, now it makes sense, but now I know how to do what it's talking about. Um, and so recently I, I asked you, how, to, how do I do this? And, and you were uh, very gracious and, and walked me through how to do this this uh, thing that I was trying to do, and and I had looked at the documentation and it just didn't it it, it just I couldn't figure it out it didn't make sense I didn't I didn't know why how to put the steps together or what the motivation for doing that was, but having somebody who has experienced that um, and is willing to say well that you do it this way because of this and. Um, here is the, the, I think, workflow or the flow of yeah. anything is not immediately apparent uh, when you're when you're working on something that's that's new to you. You don't you don't see the overall picture. You see the piece of it that you're working on right now. And so having somebody that that understands the, the whole subject or all of the, the workflow is just invaluable. And I, I think that. I think that's part of being part of a community. And, and the reason that I always, the reason that I personally, just for me, uh, seek out those types of communities is because as, a, as an extreme introvert, um, I, I just, I, 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 have, I have no ability to engage in, in small talk. I mean, it just exhausts me trying to, chat with people about nothing. I mean, you know, I've, I've gone to, I've gone to parties, you know, that were, that didn't really have a, a theme or anything that, that everybody was interested in. It was just, Hey, let's get together and have a party. And, you know, and after about 10 minutes, I'm thinking, well, you know, this, I could be doing something else. <laughs> um, and, and it's just, yeah. no, we're not, we're not talking about anything that I'm interested in. So I'm just going to leave now. So in order to um, in order to have a community, I I seek out people that have uh, that that I share a common interest with, and and of course the more interests that I share with a person or a group of people, um, the better that is because that that gives me that gives me more points of connection, uh, if you want to look at it that way, and so that that has been. Um, it, the, the internet age has really um, been a good thing for me because I've been able to connect with folks um, who I would never have known if it weren't for some group or and uh, when I the, the way that I first got exposed to discord um, I one of the things that I do I, I play some uh, some video games on both consoles and PC but I play uh, Final Fantasy 14 off and on I'm not, not on every day but um, when I got to a certain point in that, I wasn't it wasn't making much progress because I wasn't sure what to do next. So I, I kind of sought out a community, and somebody said, "Well, why don't you join this Discord server?" And you know, there's a bunch of people there, and I thought, "Well, I don't even know what Discord is." So I looked looked it up and and uh, signed up and and uh, joined the server. And you know, the folks there were great. I, I put a question, and um, you know. Within minutes, usually, 
somebody had said, well, you know, you, you should maybe look at this or try this or whatever. And uh, it, I went from not having any idea what to do to, to having almost too much uh, information on it. And, and so that, that's kind of the other side of the coin. Um, but, you know, the, the, the communities that I've been able to find on, on the, the Internet in general, but uh, Discord uh, specifically, um, have been have been quite helpful, uh, and it's it's it, it allows and also as an introvert, it allows me to um, to control the amount of interaction. So if I if I get to a point where I you know I'm just uh, I, I'm I can't do it anymore, I can sort of walk away from the computer or, or just you know stop reading it for a little while, and, and it allows me to. Um, read something, you know, read an answer that somebody's provided, and then think about that. And I don't, it's, it's asynchronous. I don't have to respond right away. I can take my time to, to internalize it, think about it, to decide what my approach is or what my thought is, and then I can reply if, if it's necessary. Um, so that, that has been very good. Whereas in, in, in uh, face-to-face um you know, meeting or communication, and and I'm not against that. I mean, I I can do that. It's just I I don't. You know, I'm sure you've been in meetings where, you know, it's it's to 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 all all but one person in the meeting. It's clear that we're we're done. It's time to go. We're yeah. finished with this. <laughs> There's this one person who just keeps. Yeah. They can't. They just can't stop. And so you know that I yeah, I that yeah. I find really. Uh, frustrating um so i I can i can do the the uh the in-person meetings but in 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 in-person meetings people tend to expect a um um a response pretty quickly and Mm. i i i don't always have a response quickly especially if it's a a question or something that i need to think about for a while and so online communities um, are, are just great for that because I can, I can look at something and read it and somebody's got a question and I think, well, I, I kind of understand what they're, they're, they want, but I'm not sure how to phrase it. So I'll go away for a while and it, it, it sits in the back of my mind. And then later on I'll come back and say, oh, yeah, I can, this, is, this is the way I want to put this. And, and I, I uh, you know, type the message to them and it, it – makes sense and 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 it helps them and that's that's wonderful i mean i i, I enjoy helping people and i want to i want to help you know be as good to people and help them as much as i can um but sometimes i have to I have to think about how to do that yeah yeah no for sure no i completely understand it i i also like the asynchronous um means of communication uh i had it in a meeting if somebody puts you on the spot to make a to uh estimate a timeline or to give an answer to something it's like don't put me on the spot like that i i need to think about this otherwise i'm gonna i'm gonna say something and then i'm gonna probably regret it um and like at some of these uh for for one of the clients that i've worked for for a long time they have these all hands meetings where like everybody comes together and um like I oftentimes have to excuse myself and go to my hotel room just for a while just to decompress because 
I can only social so much <laughs> and then I need to decompress. Well, and, and the more people you have in a room at the same time, especially a meeting about something, um, the more avenues of communication you have. So you're, you're trying to deal with all of that. You know, you're trying to maintain the, the lines of communication to each of the other people in the room. And mm -hmm. when you have too many people, you, you, you just really can't do that. So um, they used to, uh, one of the, one of the um, projects that I was on, they used to have these like week long meetings. I mean, they would get people from all over the place and we'd sit in a big conference room and there'd probably be, you know, 40 or 45 people in there. And it was just, you know, all day long for all week and and you know so little would get done because everybody wanted to have their voice heard and their two put their two cents in and you know I, I i thought you know if if you would just break this down into its component issues and then have the people meet that have a a vested interest in that issue Get those people together, the three or four or five of them, let them, you know, hash it out for an hour or so. They'll come up with a solution. But in a room of 40 people, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's really difficult to do that. And, I, you know, then, then somebody had, in, in another uh, project, uh, they had a, uh, an epiphany and said, hey, you know, when we have meetings, we're not going to sit down. We're, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna stand up during the whole meeting, and that you, that kind of focused people's thoughts because instead of sitting there eating donuts and drinking coffee, you know, they're, they're yeah. standing there, and people get tired of kind of standing up doing nothing. So it was uh, that was helpful. So it, you know, being able to focus is uh, is a uh, is an art form uh, in in some sense, it, and and it's 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 necessary to get real work done. I mean, if you just want to stand around and, and chat for a while, that's fine. But if, if you want to solve a problem, you need to focus on the problem, get inputs from people who have a, 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 a who are stakeholders who have a vested interest in that problem, and then find something that will work for, you know, the majority or, or all of those people. And yeah. Um, yeah. large meetings make that difficult. That's for sure. Yeah. So, um, this when you talked about how things have improved in terms of like the languages that's available to us, the tooling that's available to us, and you know how the industry has moved on, and like how you used to be able to work. I also think about stuff like in the past, if you wanted to learn something, you had to go to the bookstore and buy a book, and they were very expensive. Um, Unless you had a library that had a really good uh, collection of books, you pretty much you had to like save up and go buy that book. Um, these days, of course, that's almost unheard of. Like you just do a quick search and you find a thing, or you find an online course, or you use like uh, like institutions like Stanford with their open curriculum, and you the access to information is just incredible. Um, but with all of that. Um, 
I saw you mention in one of uh, your posts about the movie Hidden Figures. Um, and what's been highlighted in there is this role that women and underrepresented people actually played in something as monumental as the moon landing and all of these kinds of things. And um, so I'm wondering, like, with all of this improvement that's happened, do you think, like, the quality, one, the quality of software has actually improved in step with all these other improvements that we've had? And secondly, in general, do you think that the tech industry has really improved as much as you would have thought it would, seeing that we have had all of these, like, underlying enhancements and improvements to the way we work and the languages and the tools we have access to? Uh, I think software, the quality of software in general has improved. Um, it, it, it still got a ways to go, but some of the, uh, the testing approaches that are being used now, uh, I think, are, are, are making software more reliable uh, than it was. And I, I mean, <clears throat> the thing that I would point to on that is um, you know, the difference between, let's say, uh, you know, Windows 3 and Windows 11. Um, you know, and I, I remember Windows uh, version 3 and, and 3.311 specifically because that was the one where they added the, the networking capability. Um, but, you know, it was probably multiple times a day I was, you know, doing a hard reset on the machine because it got into some state where it was no longer paying any attention to the mouse or anything. So, you know, you just, you just, if, if you can reach the big red switch, you know, you turn it off, wait a <laughs> second, turn it back on and start over. And, um, and, and that does occasionally still happen, but not nearly at the, at the rate that it, it did, um, in the in the mid 90s um i would say these days i mean my uh my uh, primary machine stays on 24 hours a day seven days a week i mean i log out close the lid of laptop turn the monitor off at night um but it, it'll run for sometimes weeks at a time and the only reason i reboot it is because there's an update uh, that needs or that requires a reboot so i, I think the i think things the quality of some software has improved. It's it's not really consistent across the board. Um, some some shops have done a much better job at improving their quality than others. And but yeah, that's that that's just the human condition. I mean, you, you know, some some uh, brands of automobiles are much more reliable than others. So um, you know that's that's just that's just kind of the way things work. Um, as far as making progress in, in in treating people more equitably and having um, a wider representation of of people in the field, um, I, I I wish we had I wish we had made more progress uh, in, in that. I, I have worked with 
um, all different types of people from, you know, all ethnic backgrounds, uh, lots of people who did not speak English as a, as a native language. Um, you know, so, and uh, I, I used to, I used to, one of the projects I was on, I traveled to Germany um, multiple times a year for two or three weeks at a time and, you know, saw what the, the, the difference between the culture here and the culture there. And, um, you know, you, 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 you realize pretty quickly that you have to, um, you have to give people grace. Uh, you know, when, when you go somewhere else, there, you know, you're, you're necessarily going to be in a different environment. Um, and so you're, you know, you have to be open to differences from, from what you're used to. And in uh, the, think, the think tank that I worked for was um, a, an interesting place to work because like 95% of the folks there, the staff uh, members uh, had uh, at least one PhD, um, sometimes more than that, and almost all of them were in uh, what I, I what I call, and I think most people would refer to as the hard sciences. We had lots of physicists, uh, lots of uh, astrophysicists, um, mathematicians, statisticians, uh, chemical engineers, you know that type of thing. And you know we it was uh, it was mostly white males. And but, you know, we also had uh, people of color um, and, and not only, uh, you know, black and brown people, but also Asians uh, and I mean, pretty much a, a little bit of everything. We had women who worked there and, um, uh, you know, I I just always try to treat people like I would want to be treated. And I, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I try to just, you know, look, they're, they're, they're a person, they're an individual. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, be as, uh, be as accommodating as I can and, and, you know, um, help them out and not, you know, not be mean or evil or, or whatever. But uh, and and I think that has to do with the way that I was raised uh, more than um, more than a conscious decision uh, to be that way. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, I, I, I grew up in the in the uh, the deep southeast in the United States uh, in the in the late fifties and sixties. So I lived through a lot of the the stuff that um, you know went on during that time. But my my father was a civilian employee uh, at a military base. He was civil service and worked as a civilian at the on, on a military base, and uh, you know he was dealing with um, mostly uh, non commissioned officers like sergeants and uh, things like that, and and they came from all over the place. And so you know, often at at Thanksgiving. Um, he would say he would invite, you know, one or two of them to come have Thanksgiving with us because, you know, they, 
they were in a situation where they couldn't go back to where they were from. And, you know, so we would have, um, you know, people from of dif different ethnicities and different backgrounds and sometimes, um, uh, you know, uh, radically different uh, belief systems than us. And, uh, you know, my, my parents just always treated them, uh, you know, the same as they would treat family. And so I, I just kind of grew up thinking that, you know, this is the way you treat people. You, you know, you, you treat them um, in, 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 with compassion and, and, you know, if they need something, you, you try to help them. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, when I got kind of into the real world and realized that not everybody does that, um, I was... I, I was saddened by that because, you know, it's, there's no reason for it. I, 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 I think we need, uh, I think we need to give people the chance to, to, to excel to whatever level um, they are able to, given their intellectual capacity and their, um, their determination, their interest. Uh, their motivation. I mean, you know, people are all different. And, um, you know, a lot of people are a lot smarter than me and have been a lot more successful. And, hey, that's great. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't fault them for that because they haven't tried to prevent <laughs> me from being what I wanted to be. And so in, in uh -huh. turn, uh -huh. I... I, I try to never prevent anyone from from attaining what they want to attain. And if I can help them get there, I'm going to do that. I mean, one of the things that I, I learned from my father, who was a good man, was that if you can help somebody, you do it. You don't pay attention to what color their skin is or what, what they believe in or where they came from or, you know, what, what sex they are or whatever. If, if, if you can help somebody... You help him, you know, and, and he did that his entire life. And uh, so I, I, I and I hope that I am like that. I, 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 I want to think that I am. And I try to be. And so I think if we would all be that way, maybe the world would be a little better. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. No, I totally agree. And I can say from what I've from the interactions I've had with you and seen you have with others on the Mycelium network, you're definitely following in the footsteps of your father. So you can, you can rest assured of that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, yeah. No. Um, so I also read your blog where you're detailing your journey of getting back into, to the tech world and specifically web development. And, um, you had this kind of mantra of sorts that you wrote down that I really liked. And what you wrote was, start with the basics, be consistent, write some code every day, and stay focused. I think that's tremendous advice that I would echo to anybody that's getting into into any industry, really. But especially like in coding, like that is definitely something great. So how's your journey been so far getting back into into the industry and specifically this web development industry? Well, if I could follow my own advice, I'd probably be doing better. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where, um, 
you know, I, I, you know what you should do, but it's, it's, you know, the, 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 the distance between knowing what you should do and doing it is, is that there's not always a, an easy path. And so I would, I would say, you know, it, it, I love programming. I mean, I, I could, you know, when I get in, immersed in a programming problem and project, um, uh, you know, I can start and I think it's been five minutes and it's really been five hours and it's just, you know, it's like no time has passed. And I, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you've experienced that. But during, during my career, um, I, I got pulled into different aspects of computing and I'll, I'll use computing uh, in, in a very broad sense. So that, you know, after, after probably five or six or seven years of, of really writing, you know, Fortran or C pretty much all day, every day, um, I, I got into, well, we need somebody to, you know, create us a, a database. And so at the time, um, I think Ingress was one of the databases that was available on the, the VAX. And, um, you know, so I would I learned the language for that and started, you know, designing things and creating tables and relations and, and all that. So that, that was sort of like programming, but not really. And then I started getting pulled into some like system administration type stuff. And I started um, running um, some, uh, what, what they, they used to refer to them as workstations, like silicon graphics. We had a couple of silicon graphics workstations, you know, the high-end graphics uh, workstations. Uh, we had a couple of HP, you know, workstations running, HP's version of Unix and so I got into that, and that was that was less like programming. But you know, that's these people were paying me to to show up and do what they needed me to do. So they said, "We need you to do this." So I did. I did what they needed me to do, um, and then it kind of went went from there. And uh, I got into doing some um, uh, what would now be called cybersecurity. Um, they, they actually sent me to, I don't know if you're familiar with the SANS uh, Institute. Um, you can look them up on yep, SANS.org, yep. but uh, I, I've, I've taken, you know, they, they paid for and sent me to take like five or six of their different courses. And, um, you know, security is, it's necessary and it's, it's a little bit interesting, but it's not coding. So, over the years, I got away from programming, and and that's I mean that's 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 why I got into this to start with. I mean I went I told you I went to that Fortran course and I thought, yeah, I could, this this is great stuff. And I started you know banging out code and and um, you know you'd you'd run you'd you'd go to the card reader and read your deck in and you'd wait I don't know an hour hour and a half or forty five minutes or whatever it was depending on how busy the computer was. And then you'd, you'd, your printout would come out, and you'd see the listing, and then the error message. Oh, I got you know, so I got to go back and change this and change. And then when it finally runs, it's like an elation, you know. It's it's a it's a it's one of those small yeah. successes. And I, you know I, that that um, I I really enjoy that. I, I I like to 
have have code that I've written and run it and see that it works, and man, that's just great. So when I uh, when I basically retired um, from full time work and I, I kind of I, I also had a, a business on the side doing IT management for small businesses in the in the area where I live, um, you know, doing network administration and server administration and updates and you know all that good stuff, um, and so I finally got most of those clients transitioned to other providers and I was able to stop doing that. And I thought, well, now I can get back to, to coding. I want to, I want to write some code. And at the time it, uh, I looked around and thought, well, you know, writing code today pretty much means websites. You know, it's, it's either, you know, WordPress plugins or themes or something of that nature. Um, but, but it was, it had changed so much from the last time I had done that that type of thing that I was faced with this just overwhelming number of options. Um, and you mentioned your frameworks, and, and not only frameworks but languages, and um, you know WordPress versus Joomla versus you know roll your own website and. Um, uh, now, what is it? Uh, MySQL versus MariaDB versus NoSQL you know, databases, or you know, and so it's uh, it, it's kind of a bewildering um, uh, landscape of possibilities. And so I thought, you know, that that's where I thought, you know, I gotta I've gotta concentrate on the basics. I need to I need to figure out what is the Kind of basic set of of uh, of um, software and skills that I need to work on to be able to do this, and that you know to me that turns out to be HTML5, CSS3, uh, and JavaScript, and then um, MySQL typically is is very available on most uh, um, uh, web service you know web, web server providers. So that those that's what I sort of started concentrating on, and then of course PHP is is easy uh, to get access to also uh, because so many sites are running WordPress. Um, so you know PHP is almost always available, and uh, so I it, it I, I had to really um, kind of figure out what pieces I wanted to start with because I, I was fairly familiar with HTML back in the early days, um, but that, that has changed with HTML5. They've added new uh, new tags and, you know, it, and it's better, but it's a little more to know. Um, and then CSS, I mean, I was using inline uh, styling uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but you know CSS and and now with uh, CSS being able to import you know other uh, CSS files that that's that's a, a good thing and so it, it's been it's been a journey um, but yeah I mean trying to trying to stay focused on the basics is also kind of difficult though because you know you 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 hear about yeah. some 
you know, cool new technology and you want to go look at it and kind of say, well, how can I incorporate this and what yeah. can I do with it? Because it, it's so new and it's shiny and, you know, um, and so you want to do that. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge to really stay focused. Um, it, it's also a, a, a terrible challenge to, to write some code every day. I mean, I'll, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say, okay, I got to, I got to start coding. I write some every day and I'll, I'll do that for a while. And then there'll be something that happens. I mean, life happens, you know, there'll be something that I have to go do one day and I, I can't get to my coding that day. And when you miss one day, then it's easy to miss another day. And pretty soon you haven't coded anything in two weeks. And, um, so it, it's 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 been challenging, but it's it's also been uh, it's been fun because um, I I am fortunate enough not to have to do it as a as a money making proposition. I mean, with with my my wife's retirement, my retirement, or social security and stuff like that. You know, we're we're not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but we're you know we're we're okay, and so. You know, I'm at the yeah. I'm at the point where if I say yeah, I just don't want to do anything. I don't want to sit around and read or you know just go to the park, take a walk, or go to the beach or whatever. Yeah, I can do that. Um, and you know a lot of and, and I, I realize a lot of people, most people aren't in that situation. Um, so I, I and believe me, I, I realize I, I, I've you know I've, I've got it pretty good. Um, but I still I still try to maintain um, some uh, some momentum and some motivation because you know if, if it, it, there's nothing else to keep me motivated right now other than either my self motivation or if somebody says hey I, I I I'm I'm having a problem with this I don't don't know how to do it or I I don't know how to write this function to do this thing. Um, can you give me a hand? And that, that gives me a specific thing to work on. And I, I find that to be much easier than, than to find internal motivation to do it. That's why uh, I told you last year, I did the, the advent of code and it's, it's an every year thing. The guy does, a, does it every year. And I'll probably do that again this December to, um, you know, to, to focus my efforts on, I'll probably use JavaScript again using Node.js uh, to do that, um, to, to hone some of those skills and to, to try to improve uh, in that, that area because that, that gives me a very good focal point. Maybe I'll use Python this year. Anyway, I haven't decided, but you, you get the idea. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a way to maintain um, focus and motivation without having to continually come up with something new and that that that's the challenge is, is finding something interesting to do yeah i know for sure that's something i need as well i i can't just i think i've mentioned it a couple of times on from some of the other podcast episodes like i can't just learn something for the sake of learning it i need an outlet i need an outlet for it um otherwise i either lose interest or i go down rabbit holes that doesn't serve me in any way um so I, I totally get that so um in closing i know you've mentioned that you uh collect coffee cups and now i, I partially, partially know why you do that because you also love coffee 
So I do. what is it that you like about coffee and what is some of your favorite coffees? Um, I, I like everything about coffee. Uh, I, I like the aroma of the uncooked or, or the, un, you know, the, the aroma of the ground beans. Uh, I love the aroma of the coffee while it's brewing. Um, I, I actually like the taste of coffee. I know a lot of people don't. Um, I just, I, I, I enjoy the, the, the warmth of the, the drink itself. Um, I, I enjoy the, uh, the activity that surrounds coffee. I mean, we, we, my wife and I live on a small lake and we have a patio that, uh, with the back of our house faces the lake and we have this nice patio that's covered and, on nice days, uh, we have a table and chairs there. We can take a cup of coffee out and um, talk about life, the universe, and everything, or you know, uh, you know, read a book or whatever, and have a cup of coffee. And it's just, it's just really nice. Um, I, 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 I tell you what, the, the coffee that we're buying right now is from a, a small roaster. I think they're in California. It's called Angelino's uh, Coffee. And it's a, it's a family-owned and run. Uh, the, I, I think they do everything from, 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 I mean, I think they grow their own beans and you know, everything from there to the, the finished uh, ground product. Um, and the reason that we're using them now rather than I was buying a lot of caribou coffee, which is a larger um, um, manufacturer. I think this based in Canada. Okay. Um, I was using caribou, and I like and I like their coffees a lot. But we had we switched to the Keurig machine a, a couple of years ago, two or three, uh, probably more than that. Now I have a I've gotten to the point where caffeine upsets uh, my heart rhythm. So I've, I've had to switch to decaf coffee, and my, my wife still drinks caf, fully caffeinated coffee. And so um, rather than making a pot, we, we have our own coffee pods. And uh, Caribou Creek for a while was, was great, but then they, their, their availability of their K-cup uh, blends was, was kind of spotty. Um, Green Mountain makes, makes, uh, is, is a, makes pretty good coffee. We always try to get the the dark roast. We we prefer the darker uh, roast coffees, um, and uh, basically anything from Kona in Hawaii, uh, you know, anything that comes from there is going to be good coffee. Uh, Colombian, the Colombian coffees, but but I with with our with the coffee uh, that we buy, I, I I take the same approach with that as I I try to do with. In anything else that I can, I try to support small uh, businesses, either local or or a family-owned business that somewhere else is selling over the internet. Um, you know, the 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 individual entrepreneur and their their family. I think that's I, I, I like to try to support those people to you know to encourage them to continue, and as an encouragement to other you know would-be entrepreneurs to you know, to, to try whatever it is that they're interested in and, and provide that. I mean, I think too, too many people just, you know, go to 
Walmart or, or whatever the local, you know, big store is and, and buy everything. And they don't think about um, how that affects the small businesses and the, the small business owner and the families that have been and, and that have been doing something for generations. And now they're they're basically priced out of the market because somebody comes along that can do it, you know, 3% cheaper. And a lot of people only think about the, the cost to them to buy this, to buy whatever it is they need. And they don't, they don't think about, you know, the effect on the, the larger world and, and putting some of these people out of business or, 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 you know, their families not being able to, to make a living from, you know, this family business that's been in, you know, the family for generations and now they have to do something else. So I, I, I really, it, it's not always possible, but whenever, whenever I can, I try to support a, a small business. And uh, I, I think Angelinos, I, I, I don't have, I don't own stock in them. <laughs> I don't have any, I don't have any, you know, advertiser relationship with them or anything like that, but I like their coffee. Um, their website works really well. Um, it's, it's easy to order and it tastes good. And, uh, so we're, for the time being, we're sticking with them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm also, um, I've also had to switch to decaf, um, for similar reasons. Um, for me, it's a anxiety thing. Like it, if, uh, the coffee is a little too strong, uh, it does make your heart beat faster and that, that can make you anxious if you're prone to to being anxious um but yeah i think that there is definitely something special about coffee um, and like you said the whole ritual of like not instant coffee like that's okay but i no i i like the ritual of like i like to buy the beans and i have like a proper burr grinder and so i like the sound of it when it grounds the beans and you have to just find the right setting um, play around with the settings until you find the right thing and there's so many different ways to brew a cup also like you can have like a keurig machine you can have drip coffee you can have like french press it's really really interesting um yeah i'm also a coffee lover myself um and i'm glad i i i'm very glad that decaf exists because i wouldn't want to have oh, to give yeah. up coffee yeah. at all and um yeah we have some companies in south africa that um do the fair trade thing um so therefore you know that uh, everybody in the chain of getting the coffee to you is being paid fairly and i definitely right. do opt to 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 support them over uh just buying some big brand at, at the grocery oh, store absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. yeah we we used to grind our own um back when we could both drink uh coffee with caffeine in it mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and i've 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 used French presses. Uh, I enjoy that. Um, I've got a little, uh, well, I call it the one cup drip coffee maker. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually a little cone shaped thing that fits on top of a cup of coffee and you put the coffee in and pour boiling water through. So I've, I've tried all this. I still like real perked coffee the best. I mean, okay. in, in an old fashioned percolator, mm -hmm, and I don't mm -hmm. have one anymore. The last one that I had, just stopped working. It was electric, and I haven't tried to find another one. But that, but it, it, it I will, I will uh, say this, and um, 
as as kind of a, a winding down. The uh, URL of my main website is Slow Lane Cafe, and that's the that's I have my email address there. I've owned that domain since sometime in the early to mid '90s. I mean, I, I registered it when that first when you could first start registering domains. And I chose that because I, 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 I want to live life not in the fast lane. I'd like to live in the slow lane. Yeah. And when yeah. we travel, we often will take side roads and, you know, just try to find. And I, I think of living life in the slow lane and, and stopping at little roadside cafes to have a cup of coffee. I mean, that's just kind of the whole, um, the whole reason that I came up with that as a domain name and, uh, and I, I probably will have that until uh, I am no longer here. <laughs> so, and then it will live um, on. But that, that, that's how that came. Yeah. I said then then it will live on even when you're not around anymore. Yeah. For other people to be yeah, maybe inspired. So. I hope so. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Maybe so. I'm sure it will be. Well, thanks so much, Andy. This was this was a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed it. I knew it was going to be a good one. That's why I pushed you to do it. And um, so I'm truly grateful. <laughs> Thank you so much for everything you do on the Mycelium Network. Um, it's great to have you as part of our community. Um, we really appreciate you. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Um, I really appreciate it. Um. You, you're most welcome, and I, I am happy to be part of the community. It's been very rewarding for me, so I'm, I'm, I've been enjoying it. Look forward to being able to participate uh, even more in the future. Great. Thanks so much. Have a lovely rest of your day. You too now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mycenaean Network Podcast. If you're not already... Please subscribe, store, and leave a review for us in your podcatcher of choice. This helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. You can also find and follow us on Twitter at Network Mycelium and join the community on Discord. All the links are available in the show notes.